Hello and welcome to a very special mini-series of Discuss in collaboration with Our Streets Now, which is a nationwide campaign aiming to eradicate public sexual harassment through social, educational and legislative change. This series is still going to be hosted by me, Hayley Rose Dean, along with the support of Our Streets Now higher education campaigners Ellen and Helena. This mini-series is a collaboration project to coincide with the launch of the hashtag Students Not Objects campaign, which highlights the issues around public sexual harassment in higher education institutions. I'm really thrilled to be part of this conversation by supporting and amplifying the incredible work that they've been doing through this mini-podcast series. If you do enjoy the series, then please consider leaving an Apple review because it really will help others to find the podcast and it enables us to reach more people with this very important work. Hi everyone and welcome back to the second episode in the mini-series and today we're talking all about travel, transport and the built environment. We're also joined by Pippa, she is an architecture student and the founder of the Gender Step Gap and we're going to be talking a lot about that in the episode but first I think it'd be good if we can start with um, Helena giving us a brief overview about some of the issues that higher education students are facing with travel and transport in relation to public sexual harassment. Yeah, um, so our findings actually revealed that 49% of students have been harassed while traveling to or around university. Um, And so I think this statistic very clearly shows that um, the freedom to move of students is restricted uh, and their safety, whether that is, you know, going to lectures, going to football training or, or, you know, a sports night, um, it's it's constantly at risk because of uh, the presence of PSH. Yeah, which is um, which is just so frustrating to think how limiting it is for for students and how much it's having an impact. Like forty nine percent is a really staggering statistic. Ellen, did you have anything that um, you wanted to add to that? Well, I I think it's just quite a good. I mean, yeah, it's such a staggering statistic, um, but I think no one really knows more on this panel maybe <laughs> about this than than Pippa, um, because Pippa is one of our ambassadors. Um, so it's campaigning for these changes to be made and, and has also researched sort of the intersection between the built environment and urban design and feelings of safety for women and non-binary people. Um, so yeah, maybe we just hand over to Pippa and sort of ask, um, maybe if you could give a definition of what the built environment is first and then um, talk about how you came up with the topic for your dissertation yep. and what the topic was, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, So I would describe the built environment as all of the man-made elements um, that we navigate through as human beings. Um, So all of the transport infrastructure, buildings, everything that kind of makes up um, cities and towns and how they work. Um, So that can be on like a grand scale and also on quite like a small scale as well. So yeah, so that was, um, that is, I'm an architecture student, so obviously um, I spend a lot of time studying that, but then also as a woman, um, I think that I do have a very um, gendered perspective of the built environment, and I think that my experience um, and my own feelings of insecurity um, within the built environment and navigating it um, and just my own experiences and how they've shaped that basically led me towards looking into um, the intersection of kind of 
public sexual harassment and um, the built environment and what can, if anything, architects do um, to kind of remedy this, um, which is a very broad area. And it's been very interesting to navigate. Um, but yeah, that's, but that's the focus. Um, so specifically I've looked into power dynamics um, and how they manifest, um, specifically looking at why women and marginalized genders do feel so spatially limited. And that kind of relates back to time and places and people and figuring out and navigating the responsibilities of um, everyone involved, all the people in the built environment sector, which obviously is huge, um, as well as kind of like the politics of it, the culture around um, why, why women and marginalized genders are um, subject to quite such a staggering degree of um, like sexual harassment in general. Um, yeah, that's been the direction. It's very nomadic. Um, I could talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, and I think when I was reading, so I, I had a read through your dissertation and I resonated with so much stuff that you said, and especially when you're talking about how your experience sort of um, made you come up with this this dissertation thesis. It's, um, yeah, it really resonated with me. And I think it also, as you were talking about sort of, you know, design as, as a political act and how, you know, it can be seen. I think this, your dissertation does such a good job of exposing, yeah, architecture design as a political act. And I think too often, because of like the gender data gap and because um, these practices and policies um, that oppressed women are invisible. So this exposure needs to happen, obviously, to hold people in charge accountable, um, which in our case, obviously, is universities and in, in yours is is architects and, and urban design. I think, um, well, it's um, the connections that an architect has to all those other um, organisations institutions I think is something that's been pivotal in my research and the campaign work that I've been doing like basically realizing how interconnected they are and how they do all influence each other so there needs to be a change throughout for anything to be effective. Piva, I think the work that you're doing is so it's so interesting and it's um, to be honest the first time I've ever heard like architecture framed in in this in this way um so from like a perspective of not just um the female like sort of perspective or lens but like that lens of safety as well and um it really made me think I was looking through the Instagram account you started um the gender step gap yesterday and it really made me think about all those additional safety measures I take when I'm navigating what we're referring to as the built environment that I just you know I don't even really consciously think of them anymore. Um, they're just things that I just do. And it'd be really interesting if you could talk about the gender step gap. And I know you've got like specific studies on there in relation to certain areas like car parking, for example. And if you could just talk a bit more about that, because I, I really found that so interesting and what the findings were. And it really made me feel like, oh, I'm not the only person that just generally avoids parking in car yeah. parks. <laughs> No, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so to explain um, 
more of kind of the studies that I did do, um, they all stemmed from a big survey that I did um, that basically asked about the um, women and marginalized genders experience within the built environment and how they navigate it. What are their coping mechanisms, um, which a lot of people are familiar with in terms of like having your keys in your fingers or being on the phone, all these different things. So I kind of reflected on those coping mechanisms and how could the design of spaces um, minimize the need to use those coping mechanisms. Um, so my first um, intervention was kind of just pooling the research, pooling um, how people acted, what they avoided. Um, and then the second was this like reflective architectural process of designing small interventions, such as the layout of car parks, the layout of lighting, um, the layout of of landscaping, all these different contributing factors, and just assessing back again with the public, would that would these changes make people feel safer? And it was kind of mind blowing the amount of people that did say that they would feel safer with these um, like small. It's not they're not like revolutionary changes. They are kind of um, simple changes that could be made to the built environment. Yeah, I think that's what was really interesting to me is um, I'd really recommend anyone listening to this conversation to go and have a look and I'll put a link in the in the show notes at the Instagram page that Pippa's done because um, like the car park one, um, I think you sort of set, you do like slides and it shows sort of what most car parks look like now and, the, and it highlights areas where women and marginalized genders feel unsafe or what makes us feel on edge and then what about, and I think one of the things was like, you know, if car parks were laid out slightly differently so that they, um, you know, every sort of spot was visible to the road or um, something like that, you can explain this better. And it just really reminded me of um, when I used to get public transport and I said, you know, when you can like park and ride from like a tram stop or somewhere. And I literally used to hate as soon as it got to winter and it was dark and I knew I was going to get there in the dark. And like, sometimes I used to work late shifts and I feel, I always used to feel sort of embarrassed to admit this, but I literally used to run like from the tram to my car because my car was like parked at the other end of the car park and the car park was not in any way visible because they'd, they probably did it to make it look more, I don't know, like air quote, aesthetically pleasing, but there were literally like bushes, like massive trees, like all around the car park. So I always used to think if anything happened to me, like no one would see me. There's like three other cars in here. Like, I don't know where those three people are. If anything happened, no one would see me. <laughs> um, yeah. And it'd be really interesting to hear, like, if you have any anything else to sort of add to this, I know I'm referring to car parts because that particularly sort of struck with me in my own personal experiences and Helena and Ellen feel free to chip in, but I think it's just really interesting to sort of talk about this. Yeah, I, I kind of went, even when you were describing or defining the built environment, Pippa, and you said it's a man-made, um, everything that's man-made around us, I think that sort of uh, puts it into perspective how so much of how we understand and navigate the space around us are um, you know, usually the minds that have gone into designing that uh, is not one that would think of women and non-binary um, individuals' concerns. Um, I just thought that was quite fitting when you said man-made yeah, in that way. That's, that's actually how I introduced my dissertation, just the fact that it really is man-made. Um, <laughs> and even, I think, 
I think the in British architecture, the first British architect was um, around, that was a woman, sorry, was around a hundred years ago. So in the scheme of history and how much has been built up to that point of that one woman. It's unsurprising. I think if you, if you only listen and design for such a um, small percentage of voices, then of course people are gonna, that marginalization seeps into, like it's designed into cities and I think of course we're going to feel the way that we do mm. of course things need to change Pippa can yeah. I ask about um oh sorry um I just wanted to ask I was just thinking then when we were talking about um you know the whole irony of sort of saying man-made but also it's not an irony because it literally as we just discussed <laughs> everything was made by man until women came along but um and tried to change things up are you a bit of an anomaly in studying architecture like is it a gendered course like is it that um you know it's a gendered career still in that like it's largely dominated by men and so you're really having to like throw rocks at the glass ceiling to like break through it'd be interesting to know sort of what the response was to your research because I, I've, as we've discussed I've never heard these yeah. sort of concepts before so Yes and no. So basically, there's a really interesting thing happening at the minute where um, architectural students are, are pretty much 50-50, like male to female. Um, so kind of women are becoming more present in the architectural profession. It's very, um, it is a profession that definitely it, it has been white male led for so many years and mm. particularly um, BAME, um, kind of like black, the black presence in architecture is virtually non-existent still. Um, so I kind of, I think it is a, a profession that's struggled for so many years with representation. Um, I do think it's coming. Um, because saying that though, that with there's kind of like 50% of architecture students are women, there's still, I think, in managerial roles, I think they occupy about 18%, which is obviously um, a drastic decrease. Um, and a lot of women do leave the profession as well. It's not very child friendly, um, which does have its repercussions. Um, but saying that again, with my research that's obviously um, from such a kind of like intersectional perspective, um, it was really well received. It was well received by the university and it won um, the university's dissertation medal. It then got nominated for um, the Ryber President's Medal, which is a really, really prestigious architectural award. And I, and I didn't win, but I do not mind. And I think for it to even make it that far, it really shows the worth that these voices have in architecture and the role that it, that it has the potential to play. Yeah, definitely. Ellen, did you want to ask something um, before? I just think, yeah, yeah. I think maybe thinking about different roles, different people and other technologies could play in, in sort of, 
feelings of safety in the built environment would be really interesting to address because obviously all of your research, well, not all of your research, but a lot of your research was done over Gender Step Gap, which is a social media account on Instagram. Um, so yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Um, I think the role of tech specifically for me has been helpful just to gather um, well, not actually, not only gather information, but also distribute that and basically make a fuss, cause a scene, get people talking about this issue, get people sharing stuff. Um, and that for me and for my work has kind of had real impacts, positive impacts um, in my kind of like connections of the real world. Um, so for example, my I've, I've recently done designed a um, kind of like a map of all the zones in Manchester, um, Manchester student zones. Um, and I shared this through Gender Step Gap, but also through um, a Facebook account that we have um, in Manchester called Manchester Students Against Public Sexual Harassment. And um, Basically, the map asked people to leave located testimonies um, of their experience of public sexual harassment in these areas. Um, so obviously this was all done online. Um, it's on a Miro board, which is something students are probably too familiar with in COVID, COVID times. Um, but yeah, so it's just a map on Miro board and it got shared and it got so many um, testimonies left, which is obviously um sad but it really proved how much space um is occupied by these um experiences and what that map enabled me to do the map that was created kind of like online on so shared by social media um i then took that as like a tangible object um to meetings that i had with greater manchester police and um the deputy mayor of manchester um, and it's unavoidable and I think it really made an impact and it really um, kind of gave this issue the light that it, that it needed and that those victims kind of the um, opportunity to reflect on not only what happened to them but the systems as well and then be able to, for example, police not dealing with something properly people have written about that and then that has been read by um, people at Great, Great Manchester Police um, who have the power to change to change that so it's been, social media has just been a really powerful tool. I think the work you're doing is so empowering Pippa and um, I also I feel like we sidestepped the fact that your um, your dissertation was sort of uh, received really amazing um, award-winning award research essentially and um, like you said, I can't remember the name of the award you were nominated for, but to even be nominated that like as a student and, you know, when you are the person sort of throwing rocks at the glass ceiling, like it's, it can be hard to get your voice out there and to get it heard. So I think it's really amazing. And you're clearly so dedicated and committed because you're also a HE ambassador for Our Streets Now. And so it'd be really nice to sort of um, tie that into the conversation and talk about maybe what you're thoughts, ideas, or plans are for how you'll utilize that role um, with like alongside all the research of yours that we've been discussing and sort of what your hopes are for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So that kind of my role as a higher education ambassador kind of has tied in seamlessly with all this stuff. So um, the map that I just spoke about, that was one kind of element of my process working with our streets now. Um, so it, it basically helped me get my foot in the door talking to um, different stakeholders. Um, so like I previously mentioned, there was Greater Manchester Police, but there's also Manchester Metropolitan University, University of Manchester, um, there is the deputy mayor of Manchester's office who's in discussion with us. Um, and then there's so many people, but kind of like pastoral care of, of Manchester, victim support of greater Manchester and like the whole system. There's so many people now involved with us and how, again, how I've used social media to create the Manchester Students Against Public Sexual Harassment group has basically meant that there's been a bridge between all those organisations and the students um, that in need, essentially, and that require change, which has been really useful because it's let, it's let me kind of have a constant feedback of okay, so I have a meeting with this person. What do you need bringing up? This is what I'm thinking about talking about. Do you have any input? Um, is there anything you would like addressing? It's been, it's been really useful. And I think, I remember you asked about kind of like my direction. And I think my direction is literally just following, following that process and um, keep keeping the contact going I think I'm, I'm basically I'm leaving uni as well in the summer so I've already got someone to fill my place um who is Alyssa who's another our sheets now higher education ambassador but she's in first year so she's got a lot longer to um carry this on but it feels good to have kind of got everything prepared yeah I think that's what's so great about the the ambassador scheme is that there's so much longevity and like once that torch is passed you know it, it's it's just yeah going to be a continual thing I don't know if Ellen or Helena you want to add anything off the back of those comments from Pippa yeah I think it's really good as you're talking about sort of the bridge between students and those those stakeholders I think that's really I guess what we're trying to cement with the ambassador scheme and also how the Manchester Students Against Public Sexual Harassment group just shot up to what 400, 500 people so yeah. quickly. It just shows like there is a need for you know these conversations to be happening, and you know we're really glad that we've got you, Pippa, in Manchester and Alessa as well um, to have those conversations. It's it's been a really um, it's kind of spiraled um, in a controlled way. But just in terms of kind of like creating a place to speak about this has meant there's kind of been students come forward and said, do you know what? Like I have produced an app before, like I'd, I'd be interested in, in producing like a public safety app for people to use and that could kind of like help people connect and walk home together and just kind of like all these little things. There was another group that have come together that are wanting to do a march but obviously that's been put on hold because of COVID. But it's been it's been a, a really interesting meeting place um, for 
I mean, obviously I bring kind of like architecture and those skills to the table, but there is so many people out there who are concerned about this and who have kind of come together um, from this group. So it's been interesting to see that kind of, um, that knock-on effect. Yeah, and, and sort of building on that, like seeing how, how big of an issue this is for students and how engaged students are in this issue, I think showcases how much higher education institutions have a duty to respond. Um, I think it's easy to kind of assume that the responsibility of, of higher education institutions or universities just is on campus. But I think as the student engagement shows and you know, even like when you were speaking of, of the map and, and the student areas in Manchester that are um, um, affected by PSH, I think it shows that the responsibility goes beyond the campus boundaries. Um, the unique experience doesn't just happen on campus. It happens on the way to lecture, on the way to the library, football training, on the way to sports night, like you name it. Um, it's all of that is part of it. Absolutely. I think um, just with you saying it kind of extends out of the university campus, um, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, our universities have kind of really embraced the fact that their um, responsibility doesn't just lie within kind of the walls of their their buildings, but they they have kind of like a safeguard in responsibility for their students in their existence, um, whether that means at home, walking to uni, in uni, wherever. Um, and from one of the first meetings that we had with um, the university, this is this is Manchester Metropolitan. Um, I think from my map there had been kind of like a collection of um, testimonies that spoke about catcalling from building sites and um, the officer, the pastoral support officer that I spoke to at the university um, has since visited those building sites, reiterated that that's not acceptable. They've spoken about the contracts that the um, construction workers actually sign that say kind of, um, but that's not because because when you, they enter site, they do have to sign a form that basically says they won't catcall um, and they can be struck off if they do. So it's kind of there has been a knock on effect of the fact that the officer even kind of visited there and asked, what is your procedure because my students are kind of suffering from your staff? Um, so there is positive change. I think it's small steps, but. Yeah, I think that really details sort of like what we're trying to emphasize is like the working together of so many different organizations sort of needs to happen so that students are protected at all areas yeah. uh, in their student life. So, you know, working, as you said, working with, um, you know, local building sites and working with local authorities as well to make specifically like transport authorities to to make that safer I think that's what we're really trying to push but yeah it, it does extend past the boundaries um and yeah so I think that that example highlights it really well even um in terms of like university accommodation I'm just thinking some testimonies were left um at university accommodations like uh, where public sexual harassment had happened um, and that again, MMU have, have kind of begun the process of kind of thinking about how their their like resources 
resources kind of trickle down even to um private like renting accommodation and sort of like how can receptionists be trained um to deal with this or deal with reports or how can security be trained so yeah it really it has trickled down and it's definitely starting to infiltrate these different aspects that are kind of problematic or could play a role in creating safer spaces I think this has been such an interesting conversation to have and I'm sort of really saddened to say we are like running out of time but Pippa thank you so much for coming on and I really applaud you for all the efforts um, that you're doing and the work you're doing it it's so it's so essential and um, in some elements I think it's it's really quite groundbreaking the work that you are doing and I think it's brilliant that the collaboration through the higher ambassador scheme and our streets now and how you're sort of like supporting each other I'm aware that there might be people listening to this that are interested in your work and want to know more so it'd just be good if we could end on you sort of signposting if people want to get involved or where they can learn more about um, all the things that you've discussed in this episode yep of course um so to see the majority of my work and all the different things I have going on I would say to go to the Instagram account at gender step gap um, and then if you are a Manchester student or um, if you kind of are interested to see what's going on in the Manchester students group then um, that's on Facebook and it's Manchester students against public sexual harassment and it is a closed group but I am the person who lets people in so Cool. I will put links to those in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and they're like trying to grab a pen and paper and write those down, if you just like scroll down now on the show notes, then there'll be direct links and you can just easily access both those pages. But thank you so much, Pippa, for coming on. This has been such an interesting conversation. And Helena, Ellen and I will be back tomorrow with another guest. um, And we're going to be talking about a a testimonial that happened, um, a very personal incident of public sexual harassment at university in tomorrow's episode so definitely make sure you don't miss that and thanks everyone for listening and goodbye